Welcome to another episode of the Nasvax Innovations Podcast. I am Renaud Swear, and today we are joined by our service engineer, Robert Swai. Thank you. That's Robert. And we're also joined by our environmentalist, Whitney Alsafi. Say hi to the people, Whitney. Hi. So today we're just going to be going through a few things that we believe that every laboratory analyst needs to know whether you're working in a laboratory as an analyst or as maybe a manager or a supervisor some of the fundamental things that we, we you need to know shared by our Nesvax Innovation podcast Nesvax Innovations employees and experts on this podcast now we're just going to get right into it the first thing is as far as installation Nesvax Innovations has service engineers who undertake quality installation for all the equipment that their clients purchase. This installation comes with quality after-sales support, training, and all that. So, Robert, our engineer, what are some of the installation fundamentals that every laboratory analyst needs to know? Thank you for that question, Rene. Uh, some of the installation fundamentals uh, are going uh, there definitely. You need to know the dimensions of where it's going to be placed, the requirements of the room, the size of the room, the number of people who are going to use the same equipment, um, their storage for maybe consumables, their piping, let's say if it's going to use water or gas, the wiring, the kind of protection needed for electricity fluctuations and uh, and power. Definitely need to know the kind of power that we will fit to the equipment. We also need to know the environmental conditions of the place, be it temperature, pressure, be it humidity. We need to know the same. We need to know the waste management waste management for equipment that produce waste which needs to be treated properly. Yeah. Fundamentally, those are the few bits that we need to know before doing an installation. We need to have in mind before doing any installation. So yeah, this is quite uh, true as you've heard from our service engineer, uh, Robert. He has undertaken many, many installations for different kinds of equipment, large equipment, even smaller ones. And these are very fundamental points as far as understanding where it needs to be placed, understanding the equipment that you've just acquired and you know the kind of equipment, the brand and all that. And Whitney, who is not an engineer, <laughs> who is not an engineer, she's an environmentalist. Uh, she may not have much to say on this point, but we're going to engage her in the next uh, few, uh, few details. Now, secondly, is as far as installation, we just covered that. What are some of the after-sales training? Like, Nesbach Innovations is known to give quality after-sales training, whether it's, you know, to different uh, laboratories as a group or even for the supervisors, because some of these equipment that we acquire could be very uh, new to some of these uh, users that they need some training for it. So. Why is after-sales training so important, especially in an era where many people think that they can just YouTube tutorials and just understand how this equipment works? Well, I would say, but mainly to prevent 
different basis of the equipment. Mm. So you would need to do maybe a familiarization of the equipment, you know how the basic operation of the equipment, the basic care of the equipment, uh, how it works, and uh, when it's not working well, what to do when it's not working well, and uh, what have you. So, why we need that is because uh, we want to prevent damage to the equipment by the end user who might not know how to use it. Even if you know how to use it, the equipment vary from one brand to another. So if we have a trained uh, from one brand, we do the training. Or maybe there's um, maybe there's a few installations a few design alterations on the mm. same mm. which we heard maybe there's a software update on on the same so mm. we need to inform you of that so that you can run your equipment also need you to know the consumables and the spares that you need so mm. that uh, you can run your equipment and also predict their usage when they're about to end and mm. uh, when they're worn out with the spare parts when they are worn out so that you can identify and act immediately. We also need uh, you to save on a downtime that, that is the equipment doesn't shut down just uh, like that. So you, you need to keep the equipment running so that you can maximize on the on its use. And uh, maybe early fault detection. Oh yeah, to yeah. add on that, maybe just just uh, after sales training guarantees uh, customer efficient network, like it guarantees efficient customer service. So it, it's also you assure the, the client that it's working, mm-hmm. so they know they got, they got value for the, the money, money because they've seen how it's, it's working from the after sales training. Mm-hmm. That builds trust between you and the client, so there's definitely a return purchase even with these consumables and the spreads. So, and to us, that's a plus on our side. That's why we do the after sales training. Yeah, this is this is very true. Do you have anything else to add? No, that, I think that's, uh, that's a very good summary on, on why after sales is. is after sales training is so important for the end user and for us as nice Max innovations because as uh, you said the last point is that it really helps in rapport building between us and the client that is why we have dealt with so many uh, legacy clients that keep coming back because they invest so much money in these resources in these equipment and they really want to know will this equipment be able to achieve what we, what i intended will it be able to you know run better or those who even want an update they buy a certain equipment and they want to update it they ask okay does it come with the sign of features that you sold to us that said it has can we can we be sure of that and the after sales training really approves that it does and for all those laboratories who just think that okay we can just buy uh, this machine and not undertake the after sales training and just watch on youtube on how to do it that's very dangerous because we just mentioned that can imagine you've just invested all these resources in this new equipment and it, since you don't know how to use it properly you end up damaging it and it's just in new and now you have to get new paper just because of uh, ignorance so it's, it's very it's very fundamental that you get quality after sales training and <clears throat> as far as after sales training we've just 
I just want us to go back to the first question as far as installation fundamentals. We mentioned the first point that you brought up was as far as site preparation, as far as understanding where you're going to place the equipment. You've just bought an equipment and you're wondering where, where exactly you want to place it. And you need to place it in, a, in an area that is one, uh, very spacious for it. And secondly, it will be able to, you know, you'll be able to access it. It actually be a good environment for the machine in case the kind of uh, environment it needs. So as far as site preparation, before you get this equipment, why is it so important that you undertake this? Well, so you want to basically do a site the site is ready. We save time that we have to spend when the equipment is there. Now we have to do a site prep and then we have to do an installation. So mm. it's better we do a site prep first. We come there to the site, we look at the site, um, have a look at the few things I've mentioned the wiring, the water, everything. We identify the place where the equipment is going to be placed and the and the layout that we would prefer. Like if maybe you have a gas generator that is going to our equipment, we would prefer the piping be as short as possible so that the, you can maximize on the gas itself. Number two, we want to secure the same space so that you don't come and place other equipment that might interfere with the same equipment like something like a compressor might generate a lot of vibrations and interfere with an identical equipment so we secure the equipment the space is identified we also you may not have identified the con all consumable that you might need to run at mm -hmm. that time, it's it is, it is imperative that we identify every other consumable that you might need and every other part, including the human resource that will that, that he or she will be using the equipment. Otherwise, if we come and install the equipment and there's no one to run or there, there are no maybe reagents, it will be a, a lot of back and forth going to the shop, going to import from the same things. Maybe finally we might say proper proper running of the same equipment in that efficiency. Now that we have identified the layout, we know that uh, the environment is gonna be okay. We know that we have the right uh, personnel that will be really efficient. At the time we are installing, we have everything in place. So the, the only thing that is awaiting is just plugging in if it's just plugging in and training and from there if the analyst was there from site prep he or she knows exactly why we did it mm -hmm. yeah. and in future if they want to maybe do a few um, alterations with the site they know what to do and what not to do yeah. in, maybe just to ask Robert, a question. What are some of the challenges you faced in some of these labs where you've gone and found that there was no site prep and they hadn't informed you that you'll need to, to do a site preparation? Well, mainly we 
the challenge would be we told you we need a site prep and you've ignored the site prep. So if I come and do the, I'm coming to do the installation and you've assured me that the, maybe the lab is ready. But with the equipment we have like uh, specifications on the kind of uh, current and the kind of voltage that will be required. We come to the site uh, due to maybe the lack of that expertise, you are thinking that the normal power supply is enough to power mm. your equipment, but it's not. So when we we actually might demonstrate if it's safe enough to power it on, it won't if it's going to draw so much current, it won't uh, run. But then maybe if, if your equipment, if that lab is going to be an instrumentation, lab and uh, you have tried to incorporate our wet chemistry lab definitely well we won't really, we won't install anything there because the wet the wet, the wet chemistry aspect of it will the vapors and everything will eat onto the metal or the or the structure of the equipment so some of those uh, we've actually gone to a lab where there was no power completely uh, we've gone to another one where the analysts were not going to run the same equipment. They just thought it was a plug and play, but they didn't have the knowledge of doing the the tests that that were required. So see it's becoming a challenge. So we have to come back. And for us to maybe come back we might have to do some bit of cost sharing which is mm. expensive to both us and You are not your site. You did not do a site prep, so your site is not ready. You did not know what is required of you and the and the lab or the site that your equipment is going to be placed. Okay. Uh, maybe just one last question. Um, so you said some of these equipment are plug and play. Yes. Sir. So do all do they also need require like site prep? Yeah. In terms of currents or something like that, if it's plug and play, it's like uh, maybe two or twenty volts. You just need to plug. But maybe there might be other variations in terms of the pressure, the operating temperature, the operating uh, the, the operating humidity, the kind of uh, surface is it's going to be placed, and there may be vibrations. You know, like. A uh, simple and uh, precision balance doesn't. Uh, when you have vibrations around it, you're not going to get accurate results. So the, every equipment requires a minor side prep. It just depends on the on the amount of side prep that is required. Some might have like in, in two minutes already done the side prep. It's a plug and play. And um, I think this has been a very good uh, question and thank you so much Robert for actually explaining it and actually it really is a very good uh, way to get into our next uh, question is that we just covered a lot on expertise. It's very, very important for you in a laboratory to have uh, experts who know what you're supposed to do, who know the kind of, you know, equipment you're supposed to have, whether the kind of power you need, the amount, you know, what kind of lab it is. and just from engaging uh, you just uh, with me and I, we've learned to understand that it's very important both in the lab and both in the installation. So it comes about to have to ask what are the qualities of a credible engineer? 
from how you're just talking about uh, someone who really needs to understand the, uh, the, the machine that you're getting. You're, you're telling us very uh, unfortunate scenarios where you're entering a lab, you're, you're coming to a lab where the analysts think that the instrument is plug and play and they're totally unprepared. And these are, they've just acquired this new machine. People on the ground who are supposed to know how to operate it do not, do not know how to operate it. It's a very unfortunate incident. And for any of our listeners who maybe could be supervisors and they're wondering, okay, I think some of my employees actually match up to this description, <laughs> unfortunately. We, we just want to share with them, how would you know that uh, your employees, your staff in the lab, your engineers are credible? some of the qualities of a credible engineer. It's a gray area, mm-hmm. but uh, the few things we might want to see are his or her credentials, educational background, and the various trainings that they might have undertaken. But from uh, that, you might ask around for referrals people they have worked with or people who they studied with you can call ask if how was he how was she, he or she doing and with the timeline you cannot actually even have a look at the timeline of the cv is a v the what he or she is saying you can get a few uh, pointers from that you can also ask for can also go and inspect the projects they have done. You, you can they might uh, be actually they might be actually qualified for smaller projects and, uh, they, and they might have never done a big project. So from that you can tell this one this one is qualified for this kind of project and this type of project so this one is not qualified for the same. So you can get from the magnitude and the kind of projects they have You can also inquire on maybe the farms that they need. You can look at the kind of farms that they what they've been embedding in. Yeah, they credit for farms and they don't. And you can Google the same from and Google the same. You can view the identity images. And maybe you can also get uh, from the heads mm. and the level of experience. It's not necessarily that the level of experience. You can tell if they are good or not good enough, depending on the project that you are running. As I was saying, it's a great area because we have really smart people who can adapt to different like If they might have that, they might have a different background from engineering background but out of <laughs> running around being around a lab or in a project picked up a few things here or there but overall what the few things are pointers that you might have want that is why we as networks we try to look for really competent engineers so that uh, we, we try to tick all of these all these boxes all of these boxes absolutely absolutely and it is true that as networks you actually bring out and we actually give our clients the very best of experts whether engineers environmentalists microbiologists we ensure we give them the very best and we actually offer them the best and the most credible information from experts 
and this is very important how you shared that you know experience how you shared that the truth is yeah there are some people who they are just very uh they can adapt they may be weak in some areas but they adapt quickly and they learn quickly by themselves so it's, it's very important that you actually tend to understand the kind of people you're dealing with whether you're a supervisor whether you're an analyst whether you're a manager or a business owner you understand the team you are you are with and you understand their strengths and their weaknesses and how to engage them in different projects that you've said there are some who are work well and excel in smaller projects others who are meant for bigger projects so it's just about understanding your employees understanding their strengths and their weaknesses because in this field everyone might be very good in very different things and and that's a very important thing for sharing that and lastly i just want to uh, we can wrap up on this question as far as scheduling regular maintenance yes you have just installed the equipment you've had the after sales training uh the instrument is working well the client is happy uh, the training is working well the client the end users the analysts the technicians know how to use the machine well and we're just asking since this is a new machine there are some people wondering i just spent so much in this new machine i might need maintenance maybe after a year or I may just need maintenance when I notice something is very faulty or something has broken down. So how do you know the, the timeline, you know, of uh, having to, you know, book for a maintenance for these machines? Because after spending so much, you think that definitely should be able to run perfectly well for, for a long amount of time. So when you're saying about maintenance, many people have the impression of this could be, you know, for these old machines only. No. scheduling it shouldn't be it should be from the time we purchased it be it whether it was new or it was already it was a second hand uh, equipment so what we would how we schedule this is uh, the first uh, pointer would be the manufacturer's uh, specifications they might say they they prefer um, maintenance uh, schedule maybe three months after running maybe yearly maybe biannually, so depending, that is one of the pointers. Number two would be on the usage of the equipment. If you are really using it so much, then the frequency of maintenance has to be so much. If it's not really that in use, then you can maybe two weeks. You can space it out. Number three will be the client preference. Some clients would prefer like a high frequency maintenance uh, plans some clients would maybe prefer uh, something that is a test that we consult with the clients they also have a say on when they would like their equipment uh, maintained and serviced when number four would be on you look at the consumer goods and the and your spares and the, and, the, and the parts that are usually movable parts they require greasing and what have you so from that you can be doing the maintenance well before these consumer goods are, are uh, used up or, 
when, when we fall like they're the moving parts have worn out mm. so you don't you don't wait you don't wait for the machine to start having weird uh, noises on or the output to start dipping so that you can schedule the maintenance you can no you cannot that way before that by getting the, the amount of time it, the consumer goals get used up so you know like every two months i have to do um, some sort of maintenance the number four would be only the budget mm. your budget as a, the client's budget on maintenance if, it's, if they have a, if they're comfortable with the budget they can do as much maintenance as, as possible we also have the need to avoid uh, things like uh, downtime so you can maybe you say every two to every two months the factory shuts down for maintenance of mm. all equipment mm-hmm. so every two months we have different uh, people come to do the various maintenance for the various equipment after that you don't have a downtime in between when you're doing your pro- normal processes that is when you schedule your maintenance and then lastly would be on the edge of the equipment if it's really old requires mm. a lot of maintenance <laughs> if it's uh, quite new with um, fewer maintenance plans uh, than the old equipment those can be the major ways of maintenance kit I think, I think that's a that's very very good uh, information, very important information, especially that you have to understand the instrument that you've just acquired. Will you be using it very often? Will it, you know, will you be uh, scheduling a point where you just be shutting down the whole lab and just need a complete maintenance for all the equipment, or and also on your budget, or also on you know your customer preference. So it, I think these are very important things that you have to you know look into and consider. Uh, and maybe if you have any other follow-up on this, maybe just a question. Um, before the installation, the cycle, when you're say quoting for the client or the end user this this equipment, do you inform the client about the the cost of maintenance, consumables, and all that cost of ownership, basically? Yes, exactly. And for some equipment, we suggest service level agreements so that we have it in place as soon as you buy the equipment. So, like from start to to operating, we have an agreement in place that we are going to be doing this and this and this at this cost and at this space and time, so that you you are able to do your budgeting well and you are able to consider the cost of ownership as you are saying. I think that's very important that what you're sharing is that for all the clients listening and if you have a laboratory, the installation, the after sales, the site prep, the regular maintenance, all of this will be budget friendly. We can make it budget friendly for you. Quality service, uh, after sales service from the very best experts that Networks has to offer. So I hope guys from this uh, episode, we are able to share with you very meaningful information on what you need to understand from what we offer and what you should expect when you know cons having these consultants as far as engineers and environmentalists so until next time guys uh it has been a pleasure we shall talk soon thank you so much Renan.